It's Friday, it's episode 533 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I can only mean one thing, Sarah Ann is back and it's time for newbie questions. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, it's Friday. Welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. It's been a long week, but we've got there and Sarah Ann is back in the dog bed. It's been a long week, has it? It's been a long, long week. All right. Oh, you absolutely look wrecked. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying it. Say Your eyes are week. like two piss holes in the snow. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? No, I don't even know what that means. Oh, but yeah. Just, yeah, you look wrecked, tired. You've been putting the hours in on the old push bike. Well, it's club league is hard because it finishes so late at night and if you're up the next morning, it's just, yeah, it's not good. But look, I won't bore people with my woes. We'll crack into today's episode. Yeah, this week was big. There was a lot of horror. I don't know if you heard about it in the UK in particular, about this transport secretary, Grant Shapps shapes basically this was all over the press last week where he said that eventually they were going to want to start sticking registration plates and making sure all cyclists had insurance and tax and just from looking at the forums and the you know the normal websites that I uh, flick through every day about cycling this is going to start causing riots it's all cause across World War III. <laughs> anyway he's rode back on it I think he went a bit rogue with his comments I think he's he's clearly a, a cyclist hater he's one of those lads and um he's completely uh pulled back his his comments but that really was the last five days of uproar about this. How would they even do it? Like, it's like mm. putting number plates on pedestrians. <laughs> How would you do that? Well, we're all getting chipped soon. You know, we were all chipped when we got the vaccine. We've all been chipped a long, long time ago. <laughs> Everyone's walking around like zombies looking into their smartphones. Oh, stuff that grinds my gears when you're walking down the, uh, when you're walking in a path. People are walking towards you, but they're not looking up in any way, shape or form. And they're just coming at you but they're looking at their phone. It just drives me mad. Completely unrelated, but what grinds my gears is runners who jog on the spot yes. at traffic lights. Yeah, I'm with you. That just ruins, that ruins my you day. <laughs> when I see them, it just annoys me so much. Me I want to get out of the car with a baseball bat when I see Why does that annoy us so much? Like, they're just doing their own thing. I like, know. Well, I'm totally with you. Not, I'd encourage anyone that has a baseball bat to swing it at them when no, you see them. No, no, we don't encourage violence on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I have to say, I totally agree. So I looked, sometimes I look at Anthony, if I'm in the kitchen, he's in, at the kitchen table and he's online and he's been very quiet. And I'm like, oh, that fella's up to no good. What's he doing? He's probably on Instagram looking at girls. No, I always look at the screen and he's always looking at bikes. Last night was no exception because I turned around and he's eyeing up this beautiful TT bike. Well, actually, I'm lying up quite a used TT bike. It'd be like looking at old washed up girls on Instagram. <laughs> They're like a bit haggard. Uh, there's just <laughs> so much value in old TT bikes and old bikes in general. We have a lad in the club, a young lad, and he's been buying bikes on the cheap, flipping them. And everyone wants the new shiny stuff. But I've been looking at some TT bikes that are like in the vintage of 10 years old. Still super fast bikes, but great value there. 
I don't know. I haven't had a TT bike in a long time, and you need to have the legs to go with the TT bike. But I'm you much... need to have the engine to back it up, don't you? When you have a cool TT bike, you need to. It needs to go fast. It wants yeah, to go fast. It wants to just go. But I'm kind of looking for a winter project to just play around with slow over the winter. And if I get a TT frame and then just slowly start chipping away and putting on the cool parts that I can find secondhand on it, could be a little project. You should get a new bike. Now, you know, there's a new rule in this house. One in, one out. So what one are you getting rid of? Can I get rid of you? <laughs> no problem. Um, how's the prep for Badlands going? I already know the answer for this. It, it, it's Midland. It's Midland. <laughs> Although I did do some research and have a set of lights on the way and uh, mountain bike lights. And thank you to everyone who sent me Instagram messages pointing me in the right direction because I had no idea about lights. I thought a light was just a light and there's apparently two types of lights. So there's one type of light so people can see you and that's like stuff we're used to using on road bikes. And then there's a totally other category of lights for when you want to see what's going on ahead of you. And that even gets subdivided then depending on the speed you're doing because you obviously need a different level of visibility if you're descending at 60k an hour versus going uphill at like 10k an hour. So this is like different amounts of lumens and it, it's a whole thing. It's a whole game. Yeah, it's a science, isn't it? Okay, so the average lumen in your car light is a thousand, right? We learned yeah. that the other night. We 1100, yeah. 1100. And the light that you bought for this very, very intelligent light that will do all of that, you know, that you just spoke about, it gets a max lumen of something big, isn't it? Like 700? No, 7,000. 7,000, yeah. okay. 7,000. <laughs> so you can bring this out hunting and, you know, in the middle of the line, cow tipping. Yeah, you could use it for landing airplanes maybe. The other thing I'm intrigued with is the amount of water that you're going to have to carry with you. So they're saying six litres on you at all times. Yeah, I haven't figured that out really. I've got a hydration pack that I've ordered, two bottles, and then... After that, haven't really figured it out. I'm going to try and sort of jerry-rig a cage to my fork somehow. And yeah, don't ask about that. That's a, that's a process. That's going to be difficult. I, like, I just want the bottle cage not to go into the spokes, really. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, I'm getting worried now. I'm getting a little bit concerned um, about the the unpreparedness. Still of the need whole to book thing. the flights, or we'll be on our own. Yeah, the bivy, everything. Anyway, I'm I'm sure sure it'd be grand. Be grand, be, be grand. grand. Okay, the Vuelta, Anthony, or should I say, La Vuelta, España. This week has been really good, hasn't it? Yeah, we've had a friend of the show. Uh, he's been on the show. I'd say more than anyone else has been on the show. Maybe Sarah, apart from your good self, Jay Vine. Uh, I'd say he's a four or five time guest on the show because we covered his first year last season and we covered his years in Neo Pro and he popped on and off. But he had an amazing hilltop victory yesterday with none other than attacking out the GC group as well uh, in biblical conditions. We didn't even get footage of him crossing the line with none other than the up and coming, the Prince of Cycling, Remco coming in second and Roglic falling apart a little bit and losing over a minute. So that was really interesting. But we had Bennett earlier in the week winning stages and back to his best. Oh, it was brilliant. We were roaring Sammy on here in the household over the couple of stages and he seems to be back in great form at the moment. And I listened to your amazing podcast with Ryan Mullen. And you do, both of you kind of chat about Sammy and like his comeback to form and stuff. So yeah, uh, everyone should go back and check that out if you want a little bit more insight into, you know, the work that goes on and being a lead out man and, you know, Sam Bennett and, you know, things like that. And the double frustrating thing for our Irish cycling fans with Bennett winning two stages at Vuelta, it's like 
cycle in Ireland, like pull your thumb out of your arse. Like we've the fastest man in the world and we go to the European Championships and we don't support him properly. We don't even send a full roster of riders to support him. It's just unforgivable. Like we're go we go to races like we're uh you know very amateur there to take part. We're there yeah. to have a bit of crack, give the lads a bit of experience. We have the fastest man in the world is Irish. We've one of the best lead out men in the Irish. We in the world is Irish. We've the probably the best neo pro in the world this year, and Ben Healy is Irish. And we have Ryan uh, Eddie Dunbar with Team Ineos, who's Irish, who I have on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. We need Conor McGregor leading the team. We're not there to take part, we're there to take over. We need a bit of that energy, don't we? The mentality of him is just uh, absolutely brilliant. Okay, so what else is going on with La Vuelta? I have to say the highlight for me of La Vuelta so far, obviously Sam Bennett winning the stages, but I loved the team time trial at the beginning. I just thought it was so cool. They just look... It, it's just such a cool event. Would you be able to do a team time trial? Oh, I'd be, I'd be only four have to make it across the line. I don't think I'd be in the four. I'd be way out the back. Do you think I'd be good at team time trial? No. All right, no. okay, thanks. <laughs> Newbie questions. <laughs> you ready? Go for it. Okay, Anthony, what is the process to become a world tour rider? I have a young boy that is showing real potential and I want to make sure he's going through the right channels. Also, Anthony, do you think that it's a good idea to encourage my young lad into the sport? It's a tough sport, looks very glamorous on the big screen. But from listening to the podcast guests, they all seem to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, it's definitely a hard sport. But look, uh, I do the podcast every day. It's something I love. I'm passionate about. So you're probably asking the wrong person. It's like going to the barber, asking him, do you need a haircut? Like, I love the sport. I'm so passionate about it. And I think it's a great uh, avenue for young lads to get into. Whether you go all in on the sport, you know, I think that's a question. Like any sport, there's a big opportunity cost of going to college, pursuing careers. But, you know, depending on what age the kid is, definitely worth rolling the dice for a few years to have some fun. In terms of the channel for progression, it, it's really different these days because we just talked about Jay Vine. And Jay Vine won the World Esports uh, Zwift Challenge and now he's a World Tour rider a few years later. Zwift Academy is kicking off this week, so that's one viable channel, it seems, into the World Tour now. The traditional channel is win and win a lot domestically wherever you're based. Then you step up and you race in either France or Belgium for a few years and then into continental teams and then from continental teams into the World Tour. That's still the most established channel for getting to World Tour you don't want to make those moves too early. If you're not winning and winning a lot at local and domestic and national level, you know, it's pointless going to France. It's pointless going to Belgium because that's where all the best riders from all the countries around the world congregate. So if you're not one of the best from your country and you go there, you know, you're just, you're calling yourself and you're not going to finish races. Yeah, you're going to get ripped to shreds and maybe get a bit demoralized demoralized with the whole thing and yeah that's something that you do see people heading over to maybe places like Girona even though they're not quite ready to step up you know for those you know they're probably going over there to get seen are they but they're just not ready yet no Girona is more of a training base so there'd be no racing there so that's more of you know the world tour lads are basing themselves there for just exposure to training roads but there is a lot of kids going over there it's it's kind of like I don't know, maybe in their head, it's like you want to be an actor, you move to Hollywood. But I don't know that the path in acting, but probably moving to Hollywood isn't the best thing. Probably going to the cool acting school 
is the best thing that's going to get you there. But it's almost like it's almost like Darwinism when you're sent to France and Belgium, you know, places like that. It seems you would have a lot of friends that you met on that scene when you're away that just you know you recommended them to go to teams that you uh, rode for, and you know. People seem to crack over there a lot. It's it's very very tough. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like it's it's hard life, but it's also it's like the very best Irish riders, the very best English riders, Welsh riders, Italian riders. They all congregate in one place in France. So the cream has to rise to the top, and then to move to the next level of continental, it's all the best riders from France or Belgium. So at each point, it's like a it's a, like a funnel. It's a new filtration system at each point. So by the time you get to World Tour like it's basically only people who've like podiumed in world championships because, you know, a world tour career isn't a season. It's, a you know, multiple decades in the case of someone like Matt Heyman who I have on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Like Matt Heyman, the run-of-the-mill domestique, but he was also a podium in the world junior row race championships. Okay, we'll move on to the next question. So, Anthony, I'm new to watching the sport, although I've been cycling for a few years. Watching La Vuelta this week, it seemed that Jumbo Visma and Roglic were actively trying to lose the red jersey. Why is this and what benefit is this? Surely they want to control the race with the jersey. Yeah, so we talked about this a lot in the Tour de France. So the goal is to have the jersey at the end of the race, not necessarily at the start of the race. So sometimes you need to give it away to get it back. If you have the jersey, you end up, uh, you know, you end up taking that pressure and responsibility on your shoulders to control breakaways, to ride on the front. That can be very taxing for a team to do that every single day. So if you can give the jersey away to Francis de Jeu when they had it for a day before Remco took over yesterday, that means Francis de Jeu now shouldered the burden of that Jumbo Visma would have had. And if Roglic truly is the race favourite, which we're not sure after yesterday, after he cracked, and then go and try and get it back later. Like the ideal time to have the red jersey is like we've seen a couple of years ago on La Plaude Belfi when Pogaccia took it on the very last stage. He took it on the Saturday with the race finishing in Paris on the Sunday. His team literally had no work to do. So time to perfection. Time to perfection. That's the ideal time to take the jersey. You don't want to take the jersey on day one, try and control it for three weeks. That's just a heartache. But then we saw Pogaccia really go for the yellow and retain the yellow throughout the tour this year, which potentially could have been his downfall towards the end. Maybe, maybe if you were, you wanted to dive in. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a whole tactical debate, but I, I chatted heavily about this at the time that I felt he should have given it away and tried to get it back. But maybe he just knew he wasn't as strong as Jonas and that's why he didn't want to give it away to take it back. Yeah, Giving it away to take it back, like it worked in the Armstrong years because Armstrong was clearly the strongest in the bike race. But maybe Pogaccia knew, look, I'm, I'm not on my best form, so I have the jersey, protect the jersey at all costs and we'll try and preserve it to the end. The other thing that we spoke about before that I hadn't really thought about is when you're in the yellow jersey or the red jersey or the pink jersey, there's a lot of pressure on you from the uh, press to kind of be there. You know, everyone wants a piece of you when you're in the jersey. So you've probably got an hour extra of interviews. You're not going to be getting your, you know, as long a massage or as much time to recuperate. Yeah, you got to talk to, you finish the race, you have to do dope control every day if you have the jersey. The leader gets dope tested every day, whereas other people only randomly get tested so that's some extra time and then also you have to do media every single day so that's some extra time it, it sounds like you're being a prima donna but 
the extra, two, those two extra little tasks that you have to do every day on a three week race, that actually starts being, you know, you're an hour later back to the hotel every single day than somebody, other people. Maybe you're fielding more questions than when you get back to the hotel on your phone from journalists. It's a little bit of an energy drain. It might seem very trivial, but it's not. It adds up over time. When you contrast that to Pogaccia, we talked about on La Plata Belfi, where you take it on the very last day, you have none of those pressures all the way through the race. And then on the last day, you take it. So the race is over by the time you have to do any press. Amazing. Um, we've got loads more racing left to come from La Vuelta. I can't wait. Glued to it. Okay, we move on to Tech Corner, Anthony. And we both have pieces today. And I want to talk about the ridiculousness that is, in my opinion, this Rafa gravel jersey have you seen it it's like something you'd see in one of those movies about the gay bars in new york back in the early 80s just made of mesh it's a freddie mercury look to it yeah i'm expecting you know the bottom hat them start making um you know bib shorts that look kind of like chaps like, like crotchless potentially oh can you imagine the vein the chafing <laughs> so basically they have re-engineered the cycling jersey for gravel. Everyone's trying to cash in on this gravel scene, which used to be grungy, cool, wear whatever you want, no rules. And now Rafa want to charge you the princely sum of £175, which is €210, for a jersey. In my opinion, it looks really, really naff. So let me just describe it, okay? it's They've added two additional pockets, so maybe that's why it's €210. They've removed a quarter of the zip, so it's kind of, it's like a three-quarter zip. And this material that they've used is kind of mesh. Now, I, jerseys are hard to pull off for a lot of people, never mind completely see-through mesh. you got to be in good shape to pull you that off. You have to be in very good shape. So it has a raised collar for UV protection. It's very compressive. It's aerodynamic. It gets an absolute thumbs down for me. Minus 100. I don't know. I think it's a bit funky. I like seeing the little bit of innovation. I'd like to see it in person, but you definitely need to be hitting the seven minute abs machine before it's pulling like, that um, off. It's like a wet t-shirt competition constantly. <laughs> so my piece of tech is something you mightn't expect me to talk about. It's a new pair of earphones. So there's a founder of this company. The company's called Earshots. And this is the second iteration, their second generation of these headphones. The founder is called James Bell Boot. He was an adventure racer and he became annoyed with headphones falling out all the time and getting dislodged. So he decided to try and solve the problem himself and created a set of headphones that stay in place using magnets. Mm. So the original design it was really, the selling point was around the magnets and the audio quality wasn't brilliant. So they got a lot of criticism for them that they focused too much on the magnets and not enough on the audio quality. They fixed the audio quality, but this is the really annoying part for me. The second generation earshots are designed to let in some amount of external sound to keep you aware of your surroundings and ultimately be as safe as possible. Like, I hate this nonsense. It's like, you know, I can control the volume myself. I can decide at what points yeah. I want to let in volume and what points I don't. Big Brother are watching your earbuds. It's like when I, you have a Samsung and it tells you like listening to music at this volume is going to damage your ears. It's like, yeah, I know listening to loud music is going to damage my ears. Like, let me make these decisions myself. It's really, really annoying. So these are 199 euro. You can get a set of headphones in your local garage for, I'm going to say 9 euro 
and they're going to be better. You're a big fan of the earphones with wires. Wired you never really went away. away from them. Yeah, uh, Bluetooth is a pain in the bush trying to connect. Then it's connected to your device. Connected I'm trying to, to Sarah Ann's iPhone. Oh, so irritating. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Um, they, there's a lot of new head phones, ways to listen to music um, on your bike at the moment. Those, the bone conducting ones seem to oh, be extremely them, yeah. popular at the moment. And they don't, apparently they don't sacrifice on sound at all, but you can still hear ambient music, you know, ham- ambient sounds. So could be worth checking those out. But yeah, I agree with you. Let me control the volume myself. Like I love at the end of an interval having the wired headphones. So you're listening to your music and you can just flick the headphones out. There's no like having to pull them out and try and like at a hundred. 90 Harry, put them back in a box, box or you're in your jersey yeah. pocket and then you can't mm-hmm. find them again or you drop one on the road. It's just a nightmare. The wires like worked and then all of a sudden, I hate innovation for the sake of innovation. It takes us backwards and that's what that is. White Apple wired earphones all the way. You can even wash them in the washing machine and they still come out perfect. <laughs> even do. better. Even just <laughs> the same audio quality but clean. <laughs> Okay, brilliant. So out of 10, minus 100. Minus 110. (laughs) All right, so. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.